1: know we've been on a series entitled joyfully married i didn't know if last week would be the last one or not but i i feel the urge to continue on i was talking to somebody last night i said you know we could probably go for a 100 weeks on marriage there's just so much material and you have to forgive me if i feel like i'm bouncing around to here there but it's just what's coming to me and through prayer and such and and uh So I feel like we're going on. I don't know if today will probably be the last one on marriage, but I'm not sure. So hang on and get ready. I thought we'd best serve today's uh, message by having a good testimony. How many of you like good testimonies? Well, we got somebody. You know, since I've been pastor, I've only married one couple. I've only done one wedding. And so when I talked to the bride of that wedding today or this week and and they said, man, I really want to tell what God is doing in our marriage. I, who was I to say no? I'm excited to hear because I, I got the, the pleasure of joining them together in holy matrimony. Could I welcome up here Miss Vicki and Ricky Patterson? I don't know if Ricky's coming up or not, but, but I know Vicky is. Here you go, Miss Vicky.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you got your work cut out for you, now. because that's easy to do.
0: Most of y'all know that I'm Vicky Jeans Patterson. I was Vicky Jeans, and I'm Vicky Jeans Patterson. And that good-looking young man over there, who's afraid to come up here, is my husband, Ricky. And we had the great privilege, as he said, of being the first couple married by Pastor Guy. And I wouldn't have never made it if it hadn't been for Angie to get through it. And this was, we got married this past May 19th of this year. But before that, Ricky and I started dating and, was brung up I was brought up in the Church of God of South Haven, and I went there for twenty years and Ricky was in and out of church as a kid, whoever may ask him to come in he went his parents didn't go with him though and so on my you're wondering why well, I went to a church for twenty years and I'm not going there now well. It happened to change pastors a few times. And then my daddy passed away. And I was a daddy's girl and he went to be with the Lord. And I stopped going to church. And my Uncle Johnny, y'all know as John Jeans, He's my Uncle Johnny, who I love and means the world to me, kept inviting me to live in hope. With Pastor Paul. I went and it felt like I was felt like I was at home here. And I met a lot of you then. And once again, I felt like I was where God wanted me to be. Then, as you know, Pastor Paul got sick. And went to be with the Lord. And I left. And Uncle Johnny kept asking me to come back to church. He said, It's just the same, a little bit better. The worship is a whole lot better. Service is still awesome. It took me several months, but I got back in church and I rededicated my life to the Lord. And Jesus sent me that good-looking man over there. Ricky and I fell in love about a year ago, October the 5th. And right after his mama had passed away. I know that doesn't seem like something to have in common, you know, a parent passing away. But we had that in common. And he had been in the Salvation Army Center, something like the Warrior Center. And he had turned his life over to Christ and completely changed him. The more we dated, the more we started growing in Christ. Then he got down on one knee in front of the Christmas tree on December the 16th, this past Christmas, and asked me to marry him. And, of course, I said yes, and here goes what I really want to tell you, is what God's doing in our lives today. Ricky and I have almost been married six months this month and been dating for over a year, October the 5th, 2017. We celebrated our one-year anniversary by going to the Fall Festival. At church. And he works the graveyard shift. And Saturdays is his money day. He works it overtime every Saturday so we can pay the bills. But he said he really wanted to go to the festival, the fall festival with me. And we believed, we prayed about it, and we just trusted God whether the money would be there or not. We just trusted God. We didn't know if we would even have gas money to finish out the work week, but we had a blast. We enjoyed it. I seen Ricky open up to some of the guys, and we had a fun time. Ricky started talking to some of the men at church and a little more out of his shell, what I call it. By the end of the night, I was hurting bad because I had been in a little fall down accident. I had blood clot surgery and some of the ladies from the church came and visit me which was awesome. They brought me roses and food and Melanie blessed me and there was several of them there and just them showing up made me feel good but my legs was hurting so Ricky went back to get something. I don't remember what it was his jacket or something and I was leaning on my car my good friend that ain't here, I don't see her, but Cece, come up, put her arms around me and hugged me real tight and said, God laid it on my heart to give you this. She put something in my hand. I didn't look at it till I got in the car with Ricky and we were going down the road Was a twenty dollar bill, Ricky's gas money for the week. See how good God is? And before last and before that last Sunday after church, you would have thought it was Christmas or my birthday. Melanie gave me some monkey house shoes. <laughs> Cece gave me a purse and another blessing. Me and Ricky was at all. I mean, he was like, what? When we got that gas money, he was like, you got to be kidding me. Again? You know, it's just blessing after blessing because we've put God first in our lives. And we pray a lot, a lot. Because, like, I need to be wrapped in bubble wrap. I've had so many accidents lately. It's just a different way God has blessed us with the people of this church and our pastors. Ricky has been in awe and has grown closer and closer to God and just amazed at how God has blessed us spiritually This Passion Church means a lot to us, more than I can even tell you. Now this past Wednesday, Halloween night, my friend Debbie and I was driving down the road. Driving down the road in my car. The reason I wasn't driving is because I can't afford insurance. Somebody with a valid driving license that has insurance in their name that can drive other people's car can drive my car. So Debbie was driving. We were at a red light. And out of the blue, got rear-ended really bad. And I flew up against the windshield, hit my head, on the part where the windshield is and there's a little thing and then there's the passenger window, the little thing that separates it. My head hit that. My leg hit the impact. The same leg I had surgery on with the blood clots. I wasn't bleeding. And Debbie's leg hits the dashboard too. And then all of a sudden a knock on the window came. And it was this drunk man Are y'all all right in there? And I just looked at him. I said, Debbie, I need an ambulance. Call 911, please. And the cops came. I was in the emergency room. I had a light concussion. I had bruises and bumps everywhere, but thank God I wasn't bleeding. I was in there for about seven hours. And Ricky missed work again because of me being in the hospital. I've been in the hospital. This makes, or the emergency room. This makes five or six times. I can't keep up with it. And he works the graveyard shift, and it's only part time. We're fi- we're finding it hard to meet our bills. I didn't. Prayed with Angie about it and the pastor about it. And me and Ricky's been praying hard over it. We'll come that next morning. This is how God is and we praise him. Ricky got a call. And he got offered a full-time position starting November 26th. My husband's gonna be working day shift, Monday through Friday. Not much of a pay raise, but it's gonna be full time forty hours. God is great. And that's what you get for being faithful and in his word and putting him first. It don't start till the twenty sixth, but we're looking forward to what God's gonna do before then. Now I wanna read a scripture if I can. I know I'm taking too long, Pastor. But this scripture's out of the, the devotional that Karen and Van gave us as a wedding present that we do that we do faithfully every day, don't we, honey? It says be a barrier breaker. And it's from Romans 12 2. It says, don't become well adjusted to your culture that you fit into without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Romans 12.2 Thank y'all, and please keep praying for us.
1: Thank you for sharing. It's awesome what God is doing in your life. So I, when you were talking to me on the phone the other day, you said something about something that happened and and when you got home, Ricky said, "Let's get that devotional out." Let's let's pray. Let's read the Bible. Ricky, you've come a long way, brother. We're so proud of you. When I first met you, I I knew you was a good man, and I knew that God had big things in store for you and it's just a, it's a pleasure to sit and watch what God is doing in your life. Well, let's uh turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel is right before 2 Samuel. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just that, you know, I'm the only pastor to get heckled on Wednesday nights and stuff, so I take it out on a Sunday crowd. <laughs> we talk back around here, don't we? Not too much. First Samuel 9, verse 1. says, there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abel son of Zeror, son of Bechoroth, and son of Athia, of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. Now many of you know the story of Saul and know that he went on to become king and all that and that he didn't do such a good job. And we often when we mention King Saul, we go, You know, we think bad about him. But we see starting out here, Saul is just a young man when he's introduced to us here in 1 Samuel. And he seems to have everything going for him. He comes from a wealthy, influential family. He's tall. He's good looking. In fact, it says he's the best looking in all of Israel. That's that's something going for you, right? Seems like hey what can stop this young man? But we know that looks alone won't get you that far. May get you a few as you guys know, might get you a few perks. But looks and even wealth, you know, that's that'll only get you so far. In reality, Saul was just a young man looking for his donkey. <laughs> If you read the story, his dad had lost three donkeys. And when, we, when Saul is introduced in the Bible, he takes a servant, probably a guy about his age, another young man, and they go looking for his donkey. Now, I don't know what the metaphor for a donkey I should use is today, but I know that most young men and young ladies, as they're growing up, they're, they're looking for their donkey. <laughs> right? Right? You know what I'm talking about. I I guess we could say the donkey is like the way, the transportation, you know. That's what they rode back in those days. They're looking for their transportation. They're looking for their way. And so Saul is just this young man, happens to be good looking from a wealthy, influential family. But he's like every other kid, every young adult, looking for his donkey. Saul was tall and good looking. But so are many people at a glance. They're impressive, you know, if you look at the exterior. But natural gifts don't guarantee that you'll ever develop the character that's going to hold you where God's calling you to. You know, your natural gifts will make a way for you. And we all have gifts. God will open doors for your gifts. But let me read that again. Natural gifts don't guarantee you'll ever develop the character to sustain God's calling on your life. You're going to have to develop the character to go with them good looks, to go with that money, to go with that gift that God has given you to sustain you when you get to the place God's calling you to. And everyone will eventually be tested. Everyone is going to be tested. So Saul goes looking with his uh, servant, his his buddy, and they go looking for the donkeys. They can't find them anywhere. And his his servant has got a good suggestion. He said, why don't we go to the man of God? Back then they called him seers, prophet. The man of God, Samuel. Why don't we go ask Samuel where the donkey is? And that's good advice. If you've got a buddy that suggests that you go talk to a man of God to find your way or to find what you're looking for, you've got a good friend there. That's a good servant. And so they go and they find uh, where Samuel's at. And as they're walking up, Samuel sees the young man and God speaks to Samuel, the priest. He says, that's the young man I've been telling you about. That's the one I want you to anoint as king. And so Saul gets there and all he wants to do is talk about the donkeys, you know. Where's my donkey? And once again, young men, young ladies, as you're trying to find your donkey in life, go talk to a man of God. Look for some man or woman, somebody in the church, somewhere that can give you advice on how to find your donkey. And the and the prophet Samuel, he says, don't worry. Your donkeys have already been found, but let me tell you something. The Lord's been telling me that he wants you to be king over all his people. And he begins to tell Saul all this stuff, and Saul's like freaking out. And if you go down to verse 21, Saul replied, it don't say that in the Bible, but I can almost hear him saying it like, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, you understand. And that's the smallest tribe in all of Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me? It sort of sounds like when the angel approached Gideon and said, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, what? Or when God was in the burning bush and began to speak to Moses about the great things that he was going to do. And Moses was like, can you find somebody else? Because when we come in contact with what God wants us to do in this world, and we're often like, whoa, we can't see ourselves in that position. I was just looking for my donkey. I wasn't ready for this. And that's why God doesn't tell some of us what we're going to do in life. And he just leads us step by step because we would freak out. Some of us, we know. Because God knows we can handle it. Some of us, he will show along the way. Can you say low self-esteem? Self-doubt? These things are plenteous in the teenagers as they're growing and finding out what God has for their life. These things are plenteous in most of us. Some of us never seem to have found our donkey. We're still out there searching for our donkey. If you go to chapter 10 and scoot down to verse 20, it says, So Samuel the priest, he brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord. Now that's a pretty big deal. There's 12 tribes in Israel, and Israel spread out over hundreds of miles of land. But he calls them all together. Now, I don't know how many come, but it could have been a a couple hundred. It could have been thousands, ten thousand. It might have been a million. Because we're talking about all the land of Israel. He calls all 12 tribes, and he's the priest of all the land. The priest back in them days, the high priest back in those days, kind of was like the king. And these people had asked for a king and so Samuel calls them all together and I can, I can just picture the multitudes out there and I picture, you know, they built an altar to stand up on and they, they didn't have microphones back in those days but I bet they had a pulpit for Samuel to come out front. And so Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot Lot is like, I don't know, drawing sticks or throwing dice or something. It's something they used to do to kind of determine what, what the Lord wanted to do. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin. So the, the, the tribe of Benjamin was selected before the Lord and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. I thought that was odd because God had already told them. The priest Samuel that Saul was the chosen king. Why did they go through this throwing dice for the thing? I guess for the people's sake, I don't know. But isn't it odd, well, isn't it odd, isn't it wonderful to know that God controls even the dice? That God controls the chance. There ain't no chance. God knew who was going to be it, and it, it didn't matter if they rolled dice or not. He's still going to be it. And when God calls you, ain't nobody can take that away from you. So it didn't matter what they did, how they selected it. God had already said Saul was going to be the king. And here it is. He has been selected. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. (laughs) What? Samuel's up there. He's got this sea of people out there. Everybody's attention is focused. He is about to announce the new king of Israel, the first king they'll ever have. And he says, now, uh, this is my estimation, (laughs) I present to you your new king, Saul, son of Kish. Saul, son of Kish. Where's the boy? Where'd he go? He was just here. They get to looking for the boy. Can't find him anywhere. And it says, so they asked the Lord. There's another piece of advice. If you can't find something, ask the Lord. They didn't wait around a couple of days and look for him and send a search party. They said, hey, Samuel was the high priest for a reason. He said, let's, let's consult the Lord. And so he asked the Lord, and the Lord replied. Imagine that. And God says, He's hiding among the baggage. God knew exactly where He was. He's hiding. Say, hiding among the baggage. Now don't laugh, because a lot of us are still hiding behind the baggage in our life. We haven't come out onto the platform that God has built for us and we haven't stepped into the calling that God has for our life. We're hiding behind the baggage. It's easy to hide behind the baggage. You don't have to take any risk. And we're in this series, Joyfully Married, and today's sermon is part four called Carry On Baggage. Because we're going to talk about how into marriage every person brings a certain amount of carry on baggage. And some of us want to hide behind that carry on baggage the rest of our marriage and never get to where God wants to get us to. It's ruining our marriage flight. All this cumbersome baggage of our past. And everybody in here knows somebody, some young person who has ruined their marriage. Maybe you're thinking it's me. Lost your family because you wouldn't deal with your character defects. You just reveled in it. You hid in them. And you didn't come out from them and and put them away. You didn't unpack the baggage that you brought into your marriage. And it eventually cost you your marriage. Stephen Matthew says, We all have mental, emotional spiritual and relational scars from our life before Christ. Now, he's talking to Christians. But, uh, you know, we all have it, whether we like to admit it or not, and we bring such wounds from the past into every relationship that we start. Guess what? Wherever you are, there you are. I'm going to leave this woman and go find another one. Well, there you are. You're still, if you ain't dealt with that baggage, you're bringing it into the next one. He says, left unattended old hurts, grudges, attitudes, patterns of dealing with certain issues will eventually reappear. You know, in that dating phase, you can hide them pretty good. But when you come home after a long day's work, and you ain't dealt with certain issues in your life, they're going to show And he says, just like a little weed. No, no. I think he's talking about a different kind of weed. No, scratch that part. But just like a little weed, they will choke any new relationship. Your baggage is like weeds choking out the things that God, the fruit that God wants to produce in your family, in your marriage. What do we need to do? We need to deal with it. We need to unpack some of this stuff. We need to begin, begin the process of unpackage, un, unpacking this. We're all like Rocky Balboa. We got so much stuff going down in the basement. You know, it's rumbling around down in there. We got stuff in the basement. He got, he got in the ring and he got all the stuff out of the basement. We got to get in the ring. We got to get in the fight here. We become like emotional bag ladies. I always like that illustration. One of our previous pastors used to talk about, you see the little old lady going down the street, and she's pushing this old shopping cart. And boy, she will fight you to the death. You try to steal something out of her shopping cart. But if you was to total everything up she's got it, it wouldn't be worth 50 cents. A bunch of wet moldy clothes and some some black plastic bags and some trinkets she found along the road, cans and stuff. All the things that she has accumulated in her life. And she is willing to to kill you. She won't let go and be free and run a race like the average person. She's holding on to every hurt that has ever hurt her. Every person who has ever offended her. She knows their name and number. And what they did. And we become emotional bag ladies and bag men. Pushing this cart and can't be free. Jesus wants you to let go. There's another illustration that just came to mind. How in the trapeze, you know, in the circus, you know, you're swinging and you get to the other end. You got to let go of this so you can go to the next place. But some of us are like, I can't do it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Pretty soon we're just kind of doing this right here in life. We ain't going nowhere. We're just fall into the net, you know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've been on some flights before. It'd be like a one or two hour flight. Somebody come in there, they done checked six bags and put it underneath the plane and come in there with like four or five more. It's a two hour flight. They stuffing stuff up in the upper bin. They're putting it under the chair. They hold on to two things. They got a laptop and a karaoke machine and a cappuccino over here and I'm like, what are you planning on doing on this flight? They feel like they got to have all their stuff with them. I think it's they they feel like they can't trust the airline to get their stuff to the destination. And many of us feel like we can't trust our spouse to help us get to the destination. we got to hold on to all this stuff that makes me who I am. All my pains so everybody will feel sorry for me. All my excuses why I can't get to the destination. i got to have them with me. Nobody's touching my stuff. My stuff. Some of you, somebody, your spouse tries to talk to you and say, can we deal with this? Can we talk about why you respond like that every time I mention a certain thing? Nope. And you get madder. You're protecting your stuff. They're trying to help you. You're protecting your stuff. We think we need our stuff, but it's just cluttering the trip. It's just cluttering the trip. All your stuff on that little airplane. Check your baggage. Now, if you hope to be married one day and you're not married yet, I believe this message is going to help you. If you are married... I know it's going to help you. If you're like that Samaritan woman who's been married five times and the one you're with now ain't your husband, but you're still saying, well, oh, I just ain't found the right one yet, then I, this is going to be great for you. But that's what we tend to do, isn't it? We tend to focus on other people's issues. And we don't want to deal with ours. We want to focus on our spouse's issues from our perch, lofty perch up on our own baggage heel. Point out, you know, they sitting down there on one little suitcase and we, we in a baggage cart, you know. But that's why I was wrong with us right there, your baggage. Rule number one, don't try to change your spouse. It's not your job. Your job is to change you. That makes sense? Best thing you can do is turn your spouse over to God and pray for him. And then work on becoming the best you, the best person your spouse wants to change for. Become a person that your, cha- your spouse says, they make me better. They make me want to change. And singles, you're in a u- unique position. You get to plan ahead. You can get this right from the beginning. You, you don't have to go through a lot of the heartache that some of us have, have endured. Not me, I mean, but some of, you, some of us. You can be working right now on becoming the person that the type of person you want to marry will want to marry. Did I need to say that again? You, if you want a certain type of person, you should be working on yourself becoming the person that the kind of person you want to marry wants to marry. That makes sense? You say, well, I want a man, I want a man that works out, and good looking. I want a man that's been to college. I want a man that's got some money. I want a man that's got got a plan for his life. I want a good Christian man. Well, do you go to the gym? Do you go to church? Are you working? Really? I mean, do you think that that person is just going to stop by and say, yeah, you're the one I want. But you ain't you ain't got nothing that a person like that would want. If you're single, be working on you. But if you're married, be working on you. <laughs> Am I making sense? And never go into a marriage hoping to change someone. There ain't no guarantee of it. Certainly don't marry somebody that's not a Christian. that'll be the worst nightmare ever. You will just you might as well sign up to a life of misery. You have signed your life. you may with God's blessing, you may but God said, don't do it.'t don't, don't marry somebody thinking you're going to change them later. There ain't no guarantee of it. But, yeah, he's, he's so good-looking, Pastor. I, I just know if I could take him to church and if I, could, if, I could, if I could read a devotional with him, I know he would change. I know things, you know. And doesn't the Bible say something about I'm supposed to be his helper? I'm his help meat. Yeah, the Bible says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. And the men say, Amen. I will make a helper who is just right for him. See, that's me, Pastor. I'm his helper. I'm going to help him find. I'm going to help him get saved. I know he. I know he's. You know he's got a drinking problem. He does drugs, and he don't have a job right now, and all these things. He's got. He's got a, this mound of baggage. But I'm going to be the one to help him. It is true that once we get married, we are to help our spouse. We're to help them get to their destiny in God. We're to be an ear to listen, a shoulder to cry on. We're be a steady hand for them to hold. We're to inspire, encourage them. We're to love and cherish them. But let me tell you this, each passenger must stow away their own carry-on baggage. You can't do that for them. You certainly can't do that because you don't have time to because you got all your own carry-on baggage to deal with. It should consume all your time. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard of the word sanctification? Restoration? Sanctification is a big Christian word we use. I looked it up. It said the state of growing in divine grace. In other words, It's growing in God's grace. You get saved. You don't know anything about God. You don't know His ways or whatever, but you grow in it. And you begin to learn. And you begin to figure out God's ways. And then you begin to really experience what God wants to give to you. And there's another definition. says setting something apart for the use intended by its designer. If you're in the process of sanctification, which every Christian should be in, you're setting yourself apart from the world and finding your intended purpose that God gave you so that you can become that. So that you can be fulfilled because you'll never be fulfilled until you fulfill your purpose. Or at least head in that direction. For example... A car might be called sanctified when it's driving. A guitar might be called sanctified when somebody's playing it. It's making beautiful music. A husband might be called sanctified when he's loving his wife. And a wife might be called sanctified when she's respecting her husband. You get what I'm talking about? That's the intended purpose for a husband and a wife. That's an intended purpose for a guitar and a car. God has an intended purpose. And then we got restoration. See, we're, both, we're all in need. Sanctification is a process that starts the moment you give your life to Jesus and understand that you do have a purpose. And the rest of your life you'll be figuring it out and you'll be learning to walk and to grow in that purpose. But there's going to be need some restoration to get that car up and running, you understand? Some of you said, I've rebuilt cars and restored old cars. I got an old 69 Camaro or this or that. Well, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to cut away some rust, at least scratch some of it off. You're going to have to put some new rubber on it. You're going to need some new brake lines and stuff. That thing's been sitting up. That thing's been abused. You're going to have to straighten out the dents in that car. It's a process of restoration. I looked up restoration. It says the act of returning something to its former condition. When you restore, you set it back to its original beauty and intention. And we as Christians, once we, become, we give our heart to Jesus, we begin to long for that original beauty that God intended in the garden. For our marriages, we, we want that garden experience. The Bible says that the man and the woman were both naked and they were not ashamed. We want the innocence. We want the beauty. We want the love. We want what God wants for our marriage. We want to be able to be bare before our spouse and tell them our deepest issues and they not judge us. We were both naked and we didn't feel ashamed. We want that closeness. We, we find out that God's plan for marriage is so much deeper than just sex or just the, the somebody to do life with that you become one with that person. And it's a beautiful thing. It's nothing to... to To scoff at. But we got to give license to God to cut away those things in our life. Psalms 23.3. Says he restoreth my soul. When you come to God, he restores you. He restores your soul. All these emotions. Your soul is your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your emotions are scarred. Your will is, don't know what I will. I don't even know what I will anymore. And your mind is a tangled web that we have weaved from all these lies we have believed. And God begins to unwrap us and restore our soul. And he leads us in paths of righteousness. In a different path. A path of righteousness for His name's sake. That we can begin to give glory to God through the way we live and the way we do family and the way we do our marriages. Am I helping anybody? Restoration. It can be a long process. Depends on what shape the car is in when you begin working on it. Sanctification must be a lifelong process. We We don't just quit. Always setting ourselves apart for our intended use until Jesus comes back. He said, the work that I begin in you, I will complete when I get back. But until then, work it out. Say, work it out. Work it out. Hebrews 10:14 says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What in the world does that mean? For one, by one offering, he, meaning Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Well, well, if I'm perfected, why do I need to be sanctified? You're perfected positionally. God says, you're right. By my Positionally, you're right, and I see you through the blood of Jesus. And he put his spirit into your heart. And he put his salvation, eternal life already is in the inside of you. But the Bible says we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where the sanctification is. When you got saved, you didn't become perfect. You're perfect positionally in God's eyes. But to experience it in the natural realm in which we live, we must work it out. That is the process of sanctification. Jesus is the high priest who brought our donkeys home. In Him, we find our way. Where's your donkeys? It's in Him. He is our way. You know what Samuel advised young Saul? In 1 Samuel 9, 20, when they were talking about, you know, Saul came and... He was just had them donkeys on his mind. He didn't have any idea who fixed to be anointed king. But Samuel says, don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago. For they have been found. It was on the third day, you understand, that your donkeys were found. Your way was set on the third day. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. And I'm here to tell you today that you and your family are the focus of all America's hopes. And if the church can't get their marriages right, there's no hope for America. Say, God, change me. That's what we must be willing to do. When we were at youth villages yesterday, we sing that song, Yes, Lord, Yes, Lord. And it's so simple, but that must be the main thing to us. If, we, if I had to teach you one thing to do, I would just say, Yes, Lord. That covers it all. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord change me Lord have your way make me a better spouse make me a better person help me to stop focusing on the speck in their eye when I got a beam in my eye help me to be secure see God will make you secure he'll wrap his arms around you and you don't have to be jealous and judgmental and afraid anymore you don't have to hide in the baggage You don't have to be self-centered. I got to get mine because I'm the only one. You know, if I don't do it, nobody else will. God's got you. You can let go of those past hurts. You can forgive those people and let go of that bitterness and that anger that controls you, that has enraged you and caused you to be this monster that you never planned on being at times. And if you'll humble yourself, You might realize that you need to get some help. Your restoration, maybe you can't handle this on your own. None of us can. We've got God, but God may use other people. He may use experts to come in and say, I'll take care of the transmission. you be working on the engine. Somebody will show you what the problem is. You get a diagnosis. If you think your issues are too big, Go to at least somebody in the church that has been around longer and you may have a little experience and ask for help. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed, James says. Reach out for help, even if it's professional help. Try to get godly counsel. Learn to trust again. I know you've been hurt. But we must let the love of God Help us trust again and not to be jealous and constantly suspicious and checking our spouse's phone and looking at their Facebook and driving ourselves crazy. That is our own insecurities. I'm not saying some of them don't give us reason to. But we have to be secure enough in God to say, well, that's beyond my control. I cannot control that person. And if they act a fool, then I'm still with God. I'm good. And let's learn to communicate in our marriages. I don't care if I go long today, so just relax. Because this is good. Learn to communicate. And guys, I don't just mean uh, uh, a bunch of grunts and stuff. I mean actual words. I mean, talk about your feelings, I know it don't come natural to you. Your daddy told you would never do it, you know. But your daddy in heaven wants us to communicate. Almost every issue in a marriage, every issue between people that are, have a conflict could be solved if there was just some communication. If we would just get together and talk, that's why God says don't directly go to the pastor and rat on somebody about the way they're living. Go to them and talk to them. They, you, you probably work it out long before it gets to that stage. If we would help one another and express yourself, like I said, in, in words. Don't just assume that your spouse understands what's going on in your brain. Now, that's one of my weaknesses. I'll be honest. I'll get my feelings hurt by something Angie does or something, and I'll be pouting for two or three days. She'll be saying... What's wrong? What did I do? And I'm driving her crazy and she's like, I don't even know what I've done. He won't talk to me. And I'm just, I just, well, nothing, nothing. And I'm getting madder the whole time that she don't understand what I'm thinking. But if I'm real with myself, i got to say, well, how am I, how is she supposed to understand what I'm thinking? I'm getting madder because she, she don't understand what I'm thinking. Express yourself with words. Communicate your feelings. Bring things out into the light. Now this is hard. Some of us may have issues that we're hiding from our spouse. May have some dark things in our life that we don't want anybody to know about. And they'll always stay dark. And they'll always bind you. And they'll always keep you from where God has called you until you bring them out into the light. And we're true and real with God and true and real with ourselves and true and real with our spouse and let them in. They are part of you. There should be no secrets. Now I'm not saying drag up something you did back in 1977 and now we've got three, three divorces going on in the church next week. I'm not. But I'm saying something you're dealing with now. Can we please enlist the help of our spouse and be, communicate these things? And say, I have this problem, I I know it's wrong, I I understand that and everything, but I, I need your help. I believe if you were to show some humility, they would become your ally. They should be. And if somebody does that to you, they're reaching out for help. They're trying to change. They're doing it because they want to be a better person. So bear with them. Learn to admit your mistakes and say, I'm sorry. My goodness, some of these folks in here they think "I'm sorry" is a cuss word, but it's just it, it will free you when you learn to say, "I'm sorry. you don't have to stay stuck with your original ignorance. You know, I said this, and I shouldn't have said that, and I'm not sticking by that. I want you to know I'm sorry, I apologize. Do it to your kids. Say you're sorry to your kids. You don't want them to grow up hard-headed, do you? Show them how it works. We're all human. We all make mistakes, but we learn to apologize. Respect your spouse's opinions, even if they're different from yours. Respect how they're different from you in different regards. Some of us, like I said, we're sitting on that pile of baggage, and we're looking at their little suitcase. We're pointing out all their flaws, and we say, you don't do this well i got to always do this. Well, they turn around and say, well, you don't do this. Well, i always got to do this. Well, let me enlighten you. God didn't put two people just alike together for a reason. You have weaknesses, and you have strengths. They have weaknesses. They have strengths. And you're supposed to complement each other. So don't sit and point out your spouse's weaknesses because you're strong in it. You help them with their weaknesses. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're not enemies in this situation. We're here to complement one another, help one another. James 119 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I'll say this. Man, I'm just throwing out some wisdom to you guys. I don't see many people writing down notes. Way to go, Tori. She's writing over here. I mean, you guys ought to be writing this down. I I know you're just waiting to listen to the podcast and get a better, so you can fast forward and and rewind, right? I'm telling you things that's going to change your life. These are things that God gave me to help you in your marriage. Heated arguments in a marriage never have a winner. Once the volume gets loud, why am I so loud? (laughs) Once the volume gets loud... There's nothing constructive going on there. When you get heated and start saying things you wish you wouldn't have said, there's nothing. You may win the argument. You may show them how wrong they are, but you have lost the war in the process. Winning the argument is not worth losing the spouse. Heated arguments have no place in a godly home. Tone it down. You may have come from a house where everybody's opinion uh, had to be shouted. It may have been allowed everybody. And like I said, I get loud here. I don't know why. But maybe I've got some issues. Okay. But in your home, say, in my home, it's, it's a haven of peace. Create a safe place in your home. Let your home, when you go there, there's no drama. We don't allow that in here, no strife. We're not going to shout you down in here because we disagree. When we come here, we're going to work together. And if, if we, there, I'm not saying there's not a time to argue. I'm not saying there's not a time to have conflict and to, to iron things out. But I'm just saying, if you can't do it in a calm and, and quiet demeanor, don't do it yet. Pray until you can. There's no winner in a heated argument. I'm about to close, so hang on. Ephesians 4.2 says, Always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults. Not pointing out each other's faults, but making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. And this is just talking to believers. This isn't even talking to spouses. We should be doubly on this. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. See? Vicki and Ricky, they got doing them devotionals, getting that Bible out together. Boy, there's nothing that'll help your marriage more than being strong in the Spirit together. Binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. And I ain't through with the advice yet. Learn to laugh. Let laughter be in your home. Fight for joy. Sometimes Christians seem to be the most sour people on the planet. With much knowledge comes much sorrow. I know you're thinking about salvation and, and you feel the weight of the world. But we have to fight for joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need to learn to laugh as Christians. And I'm so thankful that I'm in a laughing church, a happy church. Boy, before the church starts, they're here an hour and a half early talking about it, roll tide and all kind of crazy stuff. What was your? Give him your dance move. Come on, Joe. This was what he was doing on the, in front of the TV while they watched it last night. <laughs> that's what I gotta deal with. I'm preparing the sermon, you know. <laughs> and that's not all. He just told me he got a new transmission for his truck. He calls Big Dookie. So. Oh. See, you can find reason to have joy and laugh. Fight for, fight for that. Find reason to celebrate in your house. If, if your kid, you know, they got a C and they got a D last time, Celebrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truly love one another. And when you truly love somebody, you know what that means? You're willing to put their needs and even their dreams ahead of your own. But what about what God has for me? I think God's showing you what he has for you. It's called your spouse. It's your family. If you can't get that right, then you ain't going to get the other right. And as a family, just keep running back to God. When tragedy happens, people disappoint you, things happen, and it's going to happen in this world. Just keep running back to God. Just keep pressing into God and let him let him deal with all of your emotions, good and bad. One thing that I know for certain, you can't nag away your spouse's issues. I've tried. <laughs> but what you can do There was not there was just little issues there But what you can do is become their biggest encourager instead of their biggest critic. And that's what will help change them, encourage them. When you see some improvement in an area, hey, that's good. I see you're trying. Finally. No, don't say finally. <laughs> and you work on you, be the person that they want to change for. The greatest gift you can probably give to your spouse is a well-adjusted me. And see, that's the problem with Saul. He would never work on me. And so God had to turn his kingship over to David. Now David came into the kingship with as much or more baggage than Saul ever had. But at least David was willing to work on his issues. He was always quick to run back to God, even when he committed murder and adultery. In Psalms 51, after that, he said in verse 10, creating me a clean heart. I'm sorry I've dirtied this thing, Lord. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. I done, I done got off track, Lord. I have made a mistake, but I'm not running from you. I'm running to you. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, restore to me. Say, restore. 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 We're talking about restoration and sanctification. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you, which is the sanctification. Say, sanctification. sanctification. Creating me a clean heart. Now, he didn't say creating my wife a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. Restore me. Help me be obedient to your word and do my process of sanctification. And when they ask where you're at, don't make God have to say they're hiding in the baggage. They're hiding over there and amongst their problems, they've just been happy there their whole life. They're not happy there, but they don't know any better. You know better now. Come out from among them. Say, restore and sanctify me, Lord. Help me find my donkey. Let me be the spouse that I need to be. Wow, by that clock it says 112. This is the longest I've ever gone. (laughs) Has this helped anybody? If this doesn't help you, go back and listen to last week's podcast about sex. That'll juice you right back up. Man, them guys was congratulating me, patting me on the back all week. You know, good, good message, Pastor. No, no that's just kidding. <laughs> you know, I uh, I just preach them as God gives them. I th- I I I I really earlier this week I thought, Lord, you really want that's that's. By the end of the week, I'm like, yeah, that's good, God. And he just keeps working with me and uh, bringing these points out. And by the time it, it shaped up, I thought, that's good enough to, to change somebody's marriage right there. And I I feel that way almost every Sunday by the time I leave. If if they would take what you just gave them this Sunday, Lord, it would change radically change their life. You see, I put on there on the pastor's challenge just a little... A blurb about what you should do, you know, to that a practical application that'll change you from the message that we learned that Sunday. How about let's be doers of the word, not hearers only? How about let's take these things to heart? Uh, Chad said, after last week's message, he, he sat by his wife and put his arm around her on the couch, and she said, "What you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Give it some time, Chad. It'll work, I'm telling you. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell that. But I was so proud of you for trying.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word.